ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness in 2021. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode today. I'm extraordinarily thrilled to have back with me Laura Tolchin. Laura is at Exeger. We have had the opportunity to visit previously about really her passion around ESG, her work at Exeger, and really what Exeger brings to the entire thought leadership community around ESG. And I wanted her to come back on this podcast so we could really take a little bit more deep dive into where we are now. So Laura, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Thrilled to be back. So could we start with your current role at Exeger and then maybe just you're so passionate about the subject. Tell us why, again, you're so passionate about ESG. Sure, absolutely. So I'm the ESG Solutions Lead at Exeger. Um, and this means that I ensure that our products and services across the risk management, governance, and compliance space, including our automated due diligence tool, DDIQ, comprehensive coverage of ESG risk. And you know what we're seeing today is increasing focus on ESG as part of mainstream risk management, where our clients are increasingly concerned about how their suppliers and third parties are doing in terms of ESG risk in addition to other more traditional areas of risk management, like financial health or operational risk. More and more, ESG sits right alongside those traditional areas of risk. And my role at Exeger is to make sure we're giving the best ESG risk management solutions to our clients. Why am I so passionate about ESG? I firmly believe that we are at an incredible inflection point when it comes to ESG. A lot of the principles and tenets of ESG are not new. They've come in different forms in the past. We've had corporate focus on social responsibility and positive impact for a long time. But this consolidation of environmental, social, and governance impact into this very sort of buzzy, but potentially extremely valuable concept of ESG I think it has a momentum like never before, and we're both at a moment sort of globally in terms of our environmental stance, as well as our kind of social issues that we're facing, as well as from a corporate and business perspective, where we get ESG right, we have the potential to have decades of positive impact on the world around us. So now is the moment we're sort of in the midst of a real sea change when it comes to corporate responsibility. And I believe really strongly that if we can do ESG well, we'll be reaping the benefits for literally generations to come. So I was wondering if we might be able to start with where do you see currently the regulators, the U.S. government, the SEC, and perhaps other agencies advancing on mandatory ESG disclosures? And really, what does that mean for U.S. private and public corporations? Sure. As you and I talked about last time, So much has happened in this space in really the past year, year and a half. And we've definitely seen some major advancements globally with regard to regulation of ESG and ESG disclosures. Here in the U.S., we're also seeing some major steps forward in terms of a a federal role in managing ESG reporting. The SEC enforcement task 
force for ESG was announced in March 2021, so just a few months ago. And this was a huge pivotal moment for ESG. Really what that task force is looking to do is to make sure that companies are backing up their ESG claims with real impact or real data. So it's sort of a recognition that ESG can be twisted and sort of manipulated a little bit in terms of a PR spin. And I think a lot of people are cynical of that when it comes to companies or the corporate sector more generally making large sort of sweeping statements about their net zero commitment or their social impact and so on. That SEC enforcement task force is basically saying, we are now going to be looking out for what is known as greenwashing or some sort of PR statement that might not otherwise be backed up by true data or the company's true performance. So that was a real pivotal moment in terms of the regulator stance on ESG. Separately, even I guess just last week, the House of Representatives passed very closely, 215 to 214, so a single vote, the ESG Disclosure and Simplification Act. This means that they passed a bill that would require the SEC to create a standard definition of ESG metrics, one that does not exist today. The chances of that bill turning into law are probably quite slim and would still need to pass through the Senate. And like I said, its passage through the House was on a razor thin margin. But it does sort of send a message or send a signal that the government is getting serious about ESG. And it is firmly on the radar of regulators and our legislative bodies. Additionally, the SEC itself is expected to pass its own disclosure rules later this year. Um, There's been a lot of focus on the SEC in terms of mandating ESG disclosures. And now it's really just a question of sort of how far do we think they'll go? How will they mandate those disclosures? What kind of standards will they put forward? And how those disclosures will get incorporated into other already mandated disclosure requirements for public companies? So certainly a lot is happening in this space within the U.S. It will have true impact on public companies. With regard to private companies, obviously they're not applicable in the same regulatory reporting space. But I do think there will be a trickle-down effect in terms of just this increased focus on ESG disclosure and making sure that what companies are saying, both private and public, are really backed up by true data. And whether that's mandated disclosures and mandated reporting, which might be imminent or voluntary, which is the case now, there is that focused attention on getting it right and making sure that what companies are saying is accurate and sort of takes into account the very complicated and sort of nuanced space of what ESG really is and what it really means. So these standards First of all, we have a regulatory overlay, but then we actually have standards and perhaps even accounting. What do you see coming out from either sort of not governmental bodies, but groups like IIA or other trade organizations that help advance the standards around which companies can put in place and measure by? And why do you see those standards as so critical? Sure. So, yeah, just as you mentioned, Tom, I mean, people often call this 
the alphabet soup of ESG reporting. There are a number of different reporting bodies out there, most of which are voluntary, especially in the US, all of which are, that are sort of have a, a slightly different focus in terms of what they're measuring, how they set up their disclosure, and sort of the industries and so on. What we're seeing in that space, and I think it's really quite exciting, is a recognition that some standardization needs to happen. That the literally kind of almost dozen of different reporting mechanisms that exist today is creating a fragmentation in terms of understanding ESG that is costly, that is ineffective, and frankly allows companies to sort of choose the reporting standard that might make them look the best from an ESG perspective. And that's super important because, you know, in the past couple of years, we're seeing so much investor money funneled into companies that have good, quote-unquote, ESG performance. But the issue is, is that that good performance might look that way under a certain reporting standard and might be very different where you'd use a different one. So there is this recognition. I think five of the leading standard setters announced last September that they would work together to form a single comprehensive ESG corporate reporting system. This is super exciting. I think that it's real recognition that we're not going to be able to make that same ESG impact if we continue where we are now and with this fragmented kind of very disjointed system that allows companies to almost cherry pick the right disclosure and reporting mechanism they might think makes them look best. That being said, I do think There are important nuances when it comes to sort of what standard is right for what company, what industry, sort of what area of ESG. And we will see a bit of pushback, I think, just as we saw decades ago when we were coming to a single accounting standard. It's really not that different. I had a professor at Columbia in my MBA who always said in every single accounting class, There's no simple truth in accounting, right? We have these standards. They exist for a reason. But if you understand accounting, you understand that you have to interpret that data, right? That there's sort of nuance behind it. And I think we'll end up in the same place, or I'm hoping so, when it comes to ESG. No one will claim that a single standard can do everything and sort of apply to every single nuance situation. And so there will always be that need to sort of break apart the data, really understand it, just as we do in financial accounting. But having a single standard or a global sort of agreed upon consensus, I personally think will take us a long way in actually understanding what is true ESG impact. So we're starting to see some pushback from companies, not necessarily at the government level, but around disclosures. What are you seeing around that pushback? Why do you think it's occurring? And will we be able to reach some happy medium on the disclosures? Yes, I do think kind of as I just mentioned, you know, companies will say that there can't be a one-size-fits-all requirement, that it just won't work, that there's too much sort of nuance within ESG in a particular industry, in a particular geographical setting that can't be captured with a single standard. They're also a little bit worried, and we're seeing this happening now as the SEC is moving toward, I think they just closed the period in which they were taking open comments 
with regard to how to incorporate ESG disclosures and reporting, where companies are a little bit worried about the legal ramifications, right? And we saw a letter by Microsoft and Google to the SEC, where they pushed back and said, look, we are all for ESG standards, but we don't want that to be part of our normal annual report or 10K. And the issue there for them is that they think that ESG is so long-term and the impact and the risks there can be hard to quantify that they're worried that should it be part of that normal annual reporting cycle, it opens them up to legal liabilities. In other words, they kind of have to find a way to report on some sort of maybe more nebulous areas or longer term investments where the impact of that investment might not be captured in the same sort of life cycle or investment cycle that we see when not talking about ESG or talking about simple financial returns. So there is certainly some pushback. And I think that really important, especially given traditionally, I'd say up until the past couple of years, where we've seen the most progress when it comes to ESG is really on both the investment side, right, by investors and institutional investment houses, and on the private sector side as well. And now we're at a point where we are moving toward regulation one way or another. And companies like Microsoft and Alphabet or Google are saying, you know, let's think the devil's in the details. What is the best way to do that? Again, my personal opinion is that no single accounting standard is ever perfect, is ever going to capture all that nuance. But standardization is important. And ESG is so, so impactful that if we don't have a single benchmark, it makes it really difficult for consumers, for investors, for risk managers, for compliance people to really understand ESG risks, as well as the potential for ESG value generation. So I wanted to ask you what was the best reporting mechanism, but you actually had a better phrase, I thought, which is the most meaningful. So at this point, what are you seeing as really the most meaningful reporting mechanism? Yeah, you know, the landscape today of the different reporting bodies is really complicated. And like I mentioned, you know, quite fragmented. And I don't want to go into each particular one, because they all have their sort of advantages and disadvantages, I'd say. And like I mentioned, you know, there is no simple truth here. But my personal view on this is that you need to balance ESG risk with ESG performance. It's interesting when you think about, for example, impact investing companies, right? Their whole reason for being, you could put squarely in the ESG space. They're trying to generate value in a certain area of environmental or social issues. At the same time, those companies are not often sort of really keyed into how to measure ESG risk. And so there is that need to think about both, right? Where is the ESG risk in this potential company, in this potential investment, in this potential entity? And where is the potential for value generation? And where I think that ultimately kind of plays out is in a need to to think about the E and the S and the G sort of all together, right? Is there a net impact? I mean, you can think of an example, and this is one of my sort of go-tos when I'm conceptualizing the space, right? So you could have an investment in a health clinic in an underdeveloped and underserved neighborhood 
where the community does not have access to prescription drugs or quality healthcare. That seems like value generation from the social community impact side. At that same time, maybe that health clinic is taking all of its medical waste and dumping it in the river next door. What is the impact on the environment, right? How do you net out that E and that S and that G? I think it's really important if we're going to think about ESG as a single concept going forward, we need to kind of balance those different areas, which are incredibly sort of nuanced, but finding some sort of net impact is ultimately really important. I mean, I will just share a little anecdote from my own feelings about this. As a person who cares about the environment, cares about ESG, I love to do my recycling. I always feel like I'm sort of doing my civic and environmental duty when I recycle. But then I've got a small daughter who consumes a lot of peanut butter and I've got my empty peanut butter jar and I'm cleaning it out, right? Because there's so much peanut butter stuck on the jar. And I'm thinking to myself, Pam, here I am cleaning out the peanut butter jar so I can go recycle it. How much water am I wasting by cleaning out this peanut butter jar? Is that enough to justify the environmental benefit of recycling it? Or am I ultimately actually doing a net harm to the environment by spending 120 seconds cleaning my peanut butter jar? That same type of sort of equation, I think, is where we need to get to, where we're thinking, how can you balance risks and value or sort of harm and benefit on these huge scales. And so it's no easy task, but ultimately my personal view is that getting to that net impact is going to be super important in really understanding ESG from a private sector perspective. Let me follow up on that point because it's a great example of really, I think, the holistic approach and what I hope companies are moving towards do you see companies in the marketplace really taking a step back and not just saying, well, we're going to look at DNI, we're going to look at governance almost in silos, but taking a step back and looking at it in a much more holistic way, obviously the environmental realm, but also in social justice issues and in corporate governance and really taking that approach from starting off with a much 30,000 foot view, but then going down into the details? Or is that part of the conversation that you and your colleagues are having with your clients right now? It's definitely part of the conversation that we have with clients every day. And again, I think Exeger is a risk management company. And what we're seeing, right, as I mentioned, sort of this bringing in or widening of the aperture of what risk means to include ESG. And I think that's an incredible step forward because just like you have to think about operational risk from a 30,000 foot holistic perspective, I think companies are moving there thinking about ESG holistically and sort of net impact. There's a wide variety and a huge range in terms of maturity on this issue. And there's also a lot of organizational fragmentation, right? Companies handle these issues in very different ways. And frankly, they use different semantics or different jargon, right? And the ownership of where ESG sits within an organization is still sort of in development and evolution. And so we do see sort of a wide range of how clients and how companies are handling these issues. But ultimately, I agree, Tom, I think there is a move toward a more sort of centralized, consolidated ownership of ESG. 
and putting it alongside more traditional areas of risk and putting it within risk management, I think is a huge step forward in managing ESG risk and ultimately creating ESG value. As you know, in uh, the summer of 2019, the Business Roundtable, in their statement on the purpose of a corporation, expanded the list of really people and entities that corporations were responsible to from simply shareholders to a wider variety of stakeholders. That included employees, that included shareholders, that included third parties, that included localities where the company may be doing business, and even the general public. And I really wanted to use that as an introduction to the question of who is the arbiter of ESG? How do you have a single arbiter when you have multiple stakeholders for a company? And you and I looking at a company may have a different goal or even a different view of what their ESG program should be than a shareholder or a regulator or a third party. And how can you really balance that? Yeah, it is not easy, especially when you think about you really think, what is ESG? Why do we care about it? Ultimately, it's kind of the world we live, right? It's the environment, it's our community, it's our employees, our employers. It's so hard. I don't know if there is a single arbiter, right? I think that ultimately having a single standard, making it global, right? As we've sort of done, I'll make analogy again to financial accounting. It's not perfect. No one claims that it kind of covers every single nuance or industry-specific issue, but it's a framework and it's a benchmark. And I think we're not going to ever get to a place where ESG sort of truly means the exact same thing to every person in every situation. If I'm a shareholder, it might be very different than if I'm a, a neighbor right, of a factory or plant, but we're both stakeholders. But as you said perfectly, our views and our ideas of what good looks like are going to be different. That being said, I think we need to get to a place where there is just an agreed upon framework that is global and it's a benchmark. And in the past, even six months, we've made tremendous strides in getting there. Just the fact that, you know, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the voluntary organizations whose whole reason for being was to offer a chance to make disclosures they themselves are coming together and saying, we need to standardize. You know, I think creating that sort of single framework will be hugely important in putting down a benchmark and saying, okay, it might not be perfect. It might not address every single constituent in this situation, but at least it's a starting place. And if you even think about where we were a couple of years ago when it comes to ESG, it is a tremendous step forward in a relatively short amount of time. We had two major events around the E part of ESG last month. And one of those was the election to Exxon's board of directors of a slate from a very minority owner focused on carbon footprint and certainly the E part of ESG. I saw that, though, as perhaps moving towards more focus on the G part of ESG. And I was wondering if I could maybe get your thoughts on how you see the governance part of that. And does it? what I saw was Exxon had really not engaged their shareholders and their stakeholders in a way that the stakeholders were comfortable with, leading to essentially a shareholder revolt. And maybe get your thoughts on the G part of ESG. Absolutely. And I think it's a great example and a great question. I mean, I think you could ultimately 
I'm not suggesting this because we've got too many acronyms as is, but, you know, rename ESG so that that G comes first, right? Because you're absolutely right. I completely agree that good governance should ultimately lead to strong environmental practices and strong social engagement. And that G, right, it's been around for a while. We have mechanisms, we have institutions and organizations like Transparency International and so on that measure governance. And strengthening those and sort of better being able to quantify what good governance looks like, I believe, will result in even better environmental and social management as well. And so, yeah, the G is sort of foundational, absolutely, in that ESG acronym. Exxon moment was, you know, a turning point in terms of how organizations, how companies are going to have to involve stakeholders and shareholders who might sort of be pushing for a different direction when it comes to environmental and social issues. So whether we like it or not, you know, I think some of these changes are kind of here to stay. And so it's, again, sort of about understanding what impact looks like if companies can get ahead of that with, you know, true, meaningful ESG programs, reporting, measuring, identification of ESG risk, identification of ESG value generation, you know, they can get ahead of that and sort of create a forward-looking mechanism that responds to these types of actions like we saw with the Exxon case. Laura, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information about you or any of the topics we've talked about today, where could they go? Sure. Please visit Exeter on LinkedIn. We've got a ton of information there, a ton of resources when it comes to ESG, as well as our website, exeter.com. So ask you all to please visit us there for more information. And yeah, thank you so much, Tom. I feel like we could chat for hours as usual, but I really appreciate the great conversation. Well, that really leads to, as our listeners know, this is a new podcast focusing on ESG. And as you and Exeter develop new strategies, new tactics, and new conversations, I hope that you and I can get back together and uh, visit some more. Me too. Thank you.